All right, praise the Lord. Good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. And um, as I mentioned in my opening prayer, we have several. In fact, we have quite a few that uh, work in Barnabas Ministries with um, teenagers, and a lot of them are out this morning. So uh, definitely keep them in prayer and uh, keep a covering over them. We want to see God do great things with Barnabas Ministries. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. I seen a yawn back there, Curtis. Don't do that. That will be very contagious. I've seen a second one now. So let's not do that. Hallelujah. All right. Galatians chapter 1. We just finished preaching and teaching through First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, now I'm going to start a series of teachings and preaching through Galatians, um, the book of Galatians. Uh, so if you would read with me here, it says, Paul... An apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might, now listen to this, he gave himself For our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. How many think that is important? He gave himself for our sins so he could deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel... That you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I pleased men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that your anointing would be upon this word, Lord. Uh, Father, you would anoint me to preach. Your gospel, Lord, the one and only gospel, Lord. And uh, Lord, you would allow me to also teach, Lord God, uh, your word. And uh, Lord, you'd give us ears to hear. Lord, you would move me out of the way, Lord God. It's not about me, Lord. It's not about my message, Lord. It's about your message and your teaching, Lord. And I pray that you would do that this morning, Lord. And uh, we ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, We're going through these books, and uh, one thing that I've mentioned in the past, and I'll mention it again, is um, there are two types of, um, and this is a very uh, simplified way to say it, but there are two different things that you can eat. You know, one is protein and one is sugar. All right? And uh, sugar we all love. How many enjoy going out and getting the ice cream and the dessert and the... uh, 
candy bar and the donuts, and I'm not going to go any further. Um, we're, we're going over into a bad area here. And um, it's a good thing because you get that exhilaration, you get that excitement, you get that burst of energy, and everybody's got smiles on their face. But it also isn't something that actually is nutritious for you. It's not something that in the long run is going to help you. And then we've got those other things that are like protein building blocks, like things you should have in your diet, things that build muscle, and things that are going to allow you to do things with strength, going to allow you to work harder, live longer, uh, be a healthier person. And um, when we approach the Word of God, um, it is nice to get excited. But we also have to remember that when we're hearing the Word of God, we've got to be learning and growing and making sure we're building spiritual muscle. Does that make sense? And sometimes we, um, the Bible says in the last days, we'll go around looking for that rush of excitement. You know, we won't always be understanding and growing and getting deeper in the Word. Sometimes we just want to be excited. And so I would really advise you to be careful when you're listening to the Word of God Take notes, dig deep, and and be learning the Word of God. And that's why I'm really taking my time to make sure I teach and preach. Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm going to do a little background because we're doing a new book here. And I I give you that whole protein sugar thing just to get you through the introduction. Because introduction is a lot of things that aren't that exciting. But you really need to understand how the Bible's put together and be taught. And uh, sometimes in order to be taught, we've just got to be willing to come to church and say, you know what, I want to learn. I just want to learn the Word of God, and I want to get deeper in the Word of God. And so we try to give something that even if you've not studied the Bible, you pick a lot of things up, but then if you've studied it for a long time, you still pick things up. And so as we get in the book of Galatians, um, we want to kind of understand where we're at in the Bible and what is being accomplished by this book. And so if you've never read the Bible and you're picking it up for the first time, that's where I want to kind of approach it. There are 39 books in what's called the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis all the way to Malachi, um, there is a setup there from the very beginning that in order for God to eradicate this thing called sin, how many hate sin? Because sin, the Bible paints a picture from the very beginning. When it enters into the world, the world changes. Everything was good before sin. Sin enters into the world and immediately God has a remedy for sin. And it's very important that we understand this very most foundational piece of the Bible. That when sin enters the world, immediately there is a prophecy. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first um, uh, prophecy of the Messiah that's in the Bible in Genesis 3.15. And it says, there will be born, singular, a seed from this woman. There will be one born who will crush Satan. He will crush sin. He will eradicate sin. He'll restore everything back to a world that is good. And so it starts with that prophecy and all the way through the Old Testament and especially through his people, which are Israel, God delivers the word and the prophecy that says this Messiah is going to come through a certain people, through a certain person. In fact, you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, you see the children of Israel and they're carrying this message and these prophecies. There are hundreds of them. 
And they're saying there's going to be this person who comes and he is the Christ. How many know that Jesus' last name wasn't Christ? You say, Jesus Christ, that's his first and last name. No, Christ means the anointed one. Meaning that he is the Messiah that all the hundreds of prophecies have been waiting for. So there's a 400 year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. How many are comfortable that I'm teaching this? You know all this already, right? But, but we need to go through this. 400 years of, of, of waiting, silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which starts with Matthew. And there is a waiting for the Messiah. They know that he's going to show up on the scene. They know that he's going to show up in this world. They know everything about him. They've got hundreds of prophecies. In fact, there's one prophecy uh, that's so specific in Daniel 9.24 to 9.27. You literally know the day that he's going to walk into Jerusalem to present himself to his people. In fact, 770,000 days in advance, they say the exact day that he's going to come into Jerusalem on a donkey. And that's what we call Palm Sunday. And it was expected that he would come into town that day. And it was prophesied that God's own people would reject him. And he came into town and they were all cheering. But he was weeping. He was weeping for the children of Jerusalem. Because they rejected him. And it was prophesied that they would reject him. And so you say, well, what's that have to do with Galatians? As we get in Galatians, we see in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels. And they're four presentations from four completely different perspectives of who this person was and what he did in his life. So it's a documented um, eyewitness accounts of everything that Jesus began to do and to teach from the beginning of his ministry and his life to the end of his life. And so the four Gospels are there. And then we have the book of Acts, which is really a history book. Acts is giving you the history of the church after the death and resurrection of Christ. And here's the apostles and the teachers that he raised up. And here's how they spread this gospel to the entire world. So every one of these books like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians, all of these books, Colossians, all of these what are called epistles, pastoral epistles, which means they're letters. They're letters written to each of these churches. Um, they are corresponding to the history and acts of where God's apostles visited the entire world. And so there's documented letters showing that here's the directions that Jesus gave through what he called apostles, which means they're my messengers, they're my ambassadors. When we send an ambassador from an ambassador from the United States to another nation, how many know they're a representative of what our leaders want to be said? To the other nations. So Jesus sent his ambassadors. He sent his representatives. And Paul is saying at the beginning of this letter, I am a representative of Jesus Christ presenting to you the one and only gospel. And so in Galatians, we have one of these such groups of people. In fact, Paul was in a city called Antioch. He and Barnabas and the Holy Spirit said, hey, set aside Paul and Barnabas to do the work of an apostle. 
And so they sent them on their first missionary journey. And you see this journey begin in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And they go to a certain region. And I know this is boring, but please follow me on this. They're in, if you look at Jerusalem and Israel, and you go to the west, you're going to see a city today called Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is what the world considers the kind of the capital of Israel, but really it's Jerusalem is the capital. Uh, But you go to Tel Aviv and it's right on the coast of the Mediterranean. As you go up the coast of the Mediterranean and you head north, um, you're going to begin to see a town called Antioch. Antioch was a large city and this is where they were sent to do the work of the missionary. Now as you go off the coast of that Mediterranean there, you see a place called Cyprus. That's where Paul started his journey on the island of Cyprus. Then they went north to the coast. And this is just, if you take the coast up from Tel Aviv, you go straight up the coast of the Mediterranean. You go to the west a little. Then you see a place called Cilicia. Okay, that's where Paul is from. Then you see these really rugged mountains. And over those mountains are a group of people called the Gauls. How many have ever heard of the Gauls in history? Okay, nobody. I've got my work cut out for me. There's a few, all right. Uh, you've heard of the wars of the Gauls and the Romans, okay? The, the Gauls were considered a rugged, warlike people. They were barbarians. They were great warriors. And uh, they gave the Roman government a lot of trouble, which was very hard to do because the Roman government was the military of the day. So about 300 years before Christ, these Gauls migrated from Europe, and I know this is boring, but how many want to learn the Bible? Okay, this is the background to this book, okay? So about 300 years before Christ, around 300s BC, these Gauls migrated from Europe and moved to this area that is now modern-day Turkey. Okay, and it's just north of where Paul grew up in Cilicia, which is near Syria and Lebanon, okay? So in this area, these Gauls lived, and the book of Galatians is the book uh, to this region called Gaul, which is what Galatians means. It's the, the people who are the Gauls. Okay, and so Paul goes to this area. This area is broken up into two parts. One is the ethnic Gauls, which means this group of people. They were to the north. Northern uh, Galatia was this group of people. And then there was southern Galatia. Okay, and I tell you this because as you get deeper into the Bible... Uh, you'll run into your first controversy in Galatians. They want to argue, did he go to northern Galatia or southern Galatia? Okay, southern Galatia in Acts 13 is where Paul is actually at. There's a city, a large city called Pisidian Antioch. There's a city called Iconium. There's a city called Lystra. There's a city called Derby. And so in Acts 13 and 14, Paul is delivering the gospel to this part of the world. Okay, and this is very important. Because Paul is a direct representative along with the other apostles, 12 of them. They're direct representatives of the teaching of Jesus Christ. And the reason Jesus Christ's teaching is so important is he was the one who was prophesied from the Garden of Eden. It's the only one way to heaven. So from the very beginning, there was only one way to heaven. It was delivered through... um, The Jewish people, from the very beginning, they documented it from the Garden of Eden. The first man who ever walked on the earth uh, began to get this prophecy from God about how this Messiah would come. Well, Jesus 
was the one that fulfilled every prophecy. He had the only way to heaven. How many know that to be true? The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, and there's only one gospel. And so the reason this is so important is this is the earliest of the books that were written by the representatives of Jesus Christ to the believers. Galatia is the earliest book that was written to the believers. Okay, it was written in the the late 40s A.D., and uh, Jesus resurrected in 33 32, 33 A.D. So this book is only about 14 or 15 years after Christ. You yawn, Taylor. Don't do that. You're, you're making my work harder here. Don't, don't do that. So this letter is very early. And Paul, we're going to find, is spending a lot of time trying to explain why his message is directly from Jesus Christ. And the reason why he's doing that is because they're going to try to discredit his word because it is the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. It was presented in the beginning and there is no other way under heaven, the Bible says. And you say, well, man, there's got to be a bunch of ways. It's not through this Bible. If, If you go through this Bible, in fact, this is the only word that supports itself with nearly... The majority of this book is prophecy. And there's no other book like this that says that there's a way to heaven. And the only way to heaven through this book is through this Messiah who was prophesied from the very beginning. So Paul begins to deliver this gospel. And I take all that time to explain that because in this book, the gospel is being challenged. They're saying that there is a different way to heaven than the gospel that Paul is delivering. And Paul is very, very, um, we just don't, can somebody give me a bottle of water? I don't know why my mouth gets so dry up here. Thank you. I appreciate it, Richard. But um, Paul is, if, if we use the words today that Paul used for this other gospel, this false teaching, Um, I don't know that we would tolerate it. Paul said that they're delivering a different gospel. And he said, let them be accursed. And he said, let me say it again, just so you know what I'm saying. He says, let them be condemned if they're preaching a different gospel than what was delivered to me through Jesus Christ. Appreciate it. Thank you, brother. So today, obviously we have lots of other religions that are saying there are different ways to to heaven besides Jesus Christ. There's lots of paths. Now Jesus himself said that there's only one way. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no other way to the Father but through me. And so he was very clear that there aren't other ways, but here's the problem. In the book of Galatians and what Paul is about to begin to lay out for us, in fact, we're going to be studying over the next several weeks is we've got to evaluate our gospels, Christians, because the people that were giving him trouble were Christians. They were Christians who had a Jewish background and they were coming in after Paul and delivering a different gospel and Paul wasn't nice about it. Paul, in fact, this is the only book that Paul writes. 
Paul writes approximately 13 or 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And um, this is the only book where he doesn't compliment them. In fact, he immediately goes from grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And usually right here, he will compliment the churches. But he doesn't. <laughs> he immediately goes into, I marvel, I am amazed that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So Paul immediately, it's like, he doesn't even, I mean, he just immediately goes into, we've got a serious problem here. And you can kind of understand it. These believers in Galatia, he had came through here on his first journey, preached to these churches. Now here's the controversy I actually didn't get into. They say in the second and the third trip, there's what's called the Northern Galatian theory, which means that they think he went to the Northern part, which traditionally were the ethnic Galatians. I don't want to confuse people, but they say that in the second and the third trip, when he says Phrygia and region, that he went to the actual ethnic Galatians and, and went to the Northern part. But I actually shouldn't even went into that. More than likely, he went through the southern part, strengthened the believers that he had already visited, and that's where the Judaizers were visiting and causing trouble. I'll make it simple. I believe in the southern Galatia theory, that he stayed in southern Galatia and uh, ministered to them. But um, anyway, he goes in this area, and after he leaves, there begins to be this real controversy. And so what we have to do is take that controversy... And examine the gospel that we're preaching and the gospel that we're believing. Okay, so what was the problem with what they were preaching when Paul left? And why does Paul say, let them be condemned? He said they were perverting the gospel and let them be condemned for what they're doing. They're doing a very bad thing. And here's what they did. They took the free gospel of grace... And they turned it into a gospel of works. That means, how do I believe in Jesus Christ and how do I know that I'm going to heaven? Okay, that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Jesus made it very simple and what they were doing was making it very difficult. In fact, look at some of the things that Paul said here to kind of examine the things that they were trying to say. <clears throat> Boy, and I should look at my notes more often. Okay, first he says, I'm amazed you're turning away so soon from God who called you in his love and mercy and invited you to share eternal life through Christ to following a different, in fact, this is from the Living Bible, another way to heaven, which really doesn't go to heaven at all, for there's no other way than the one that we showed you uh, you're being fooled by those who twist and change the truth concerning Christ. Galatians 2, 4, and 5, he says, And this occurred because of false brethren who secretly brought in, they came in by stealth to spy out our liberty that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into 
bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Do you see, Paul is not being very nice to these people. He's calling them false brethren, and he said they secretly came in, spied out the liberty that you had, and tried to put you back into bondage. Then he goes in uh, Galatians 3.1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or who has tricked you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? So why is Paul, and I'm trying to piece together a mystery here, why is Paul saying that Jesus Christ was crucified before you and they're trying to trick you about this truth of Jesus Christ being crucified before you. Galatians 4.17 They zealously court you for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you so you may be zealous for them. Galatians 5.7 You were getting along so well who has interfered with you to hold you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God who has done it. For he is the one who has called you to freedom in Christ. But it takes only one wrong person among you to infect all the other people. I'm trusting the Lord to bring you back to believing as I do about these things. God will deal with that person, whoever he is, whoever has been troubling and confusing you. Some people even say that I myself am preaching that circumcision and Jewish laws are necessary to the plan of salvation. Well, if I preach that, I would, be, I would not be persecuted anymore. For that message doesn't offend anybody. The fact that I am still being persecuted proves that I am preaching salvation through faith in Christ, the cross of Christ alone. So now we've got the answer. Did you catch it? These people were coming in... And they were teaching a different gospel. And the different gospel was circumcision and Jewish laws you had to obey in order to have salvation. And so Paul is very upset because they had the cross of Christ and they were free. And whatever these people was doing, it was bringing them back into bondage again. So the question that we're going to answer as we preach and teach through Galatians is a thing called justification. Like, what do I have to do to get to heaven? What do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to be right with God? What do I have to do to, to know in my conscience that I'm right with God and I'm going to heaven? How many know, want to know the answer to that question? That's what the whole world wants to know. What do I have to do to be saved? And we've got to give the answer. And when we give the answer, that's called the gospel. That's called the good news. That's called, you know, restoring people back with God and taking care of the sin question. And the answer that we give means everything. How many know our job is to preach the gospel? So Paul mentioned in these first two chapters the gospel ten times. Okay, he's trying to stress... We've got to get the justification thing right. Now here's what happens in religion. Religion seeks to find work that we can do to be right with God. Okay, and I want you to think yourself. Let's separate ourselves from the scripture we just read and some of you that have read Galatians and know what the answer is going to be. 
Let's just think, what do I do as work to make sure I'm going to heaven? And so let's see, are we preaching this gospel? Are we preaching what sounds right in man's eyes? Because here's what religion does. Every religion does this. Okay, the gospel is not a religion. Religion is just something you do over and over and over and over again. In fact, I heard this story about this bald eagle that this man had rescued. It was injured. And so he rescued it. He brought it home. He healed its wing. He was able to function properly again. But he said, you know what? I've always wanted to have an eagle as a pet. So I put him on a chain. And the eagle would just walk around with that chain in a circle until he just wore out a rut. Over and over and over, he walked the same path every day. Then the guy would go out and see him, and he just thought to himself, he said, you know what? An eagle shouldn't be tied to a chain. You know, an eagle was meant to soar. And so he took the chain off, and you know what that eagle did? Kept walking in the same rut. Day after day after day after day. And so here's what happens with religion. Somebody gets saved. And they might even do it the right way. They might even find out that, hey, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I trust Jesus Christ with my life. I'm living for Christ. Thank God He forgave me of my sins. I love Him so much. I want to serve Him. And then you know what we do? We start putting the regulations on them. We start putting the links and the chains on them. We say, okay, now you need to get on this reading plan. And you need to read so much every day. And well, how much do I need to read? Try to read the whole Bible in a year. Then you need to pray a certain amount of days. And well, how much do I need to pray? Well, you need to read this book on this guy who prayed this amount of, and that's how you need to do it. And all of a sudden, how many know it gets heavier? And then you say, well, then you need to be perfect in every way. And then something just starts to change. And what begins to change is, if I do, and this is where the error really begins to kill people. If I do this, then I'll be right with God. And this is what happened to the Galatians. The Galatians started off understanding that Christ had forgiven them for all their sins. They were saved. They were on their way to heaven. They loved Jesus Christ. They were growing in their faith. They knew that their sins were forgiven. And God was sanctifying them day by day. And their sins was not going to cause them to be alienated from God. They weren't going to not go to heaven because of their failures. They knew that they were in this plan of grace and God was sanctifying. They were growing. And and then somewhere along the way, what the Bible calls Judaizers begin to come in and begin to tell them, you need to do this. You need to add that. You need to add this. And Paul was literally trying to explain to these Galatians, and this is what we're going to study as we go through the book, is how did you go from being a free man back into bondage again? And so here they were, like this eagle. And how many have ever seen it? There's no joy in the walk. It's just like the rut. 
of the eagle every day, you know. And, and what God wants you to do is every day realize that Christ, is it new every day that Christ forgave me of all my sins? Is it new every day that God paid the price completely for me and I serve Him because I love Him, not because I'm compelled to? You know, there are some uh, denominations, some re- religious groups that they will knock. You know why they do it? Not because they love God. They do it because they believe if they do it, they'll go to heaven. There are people that, I mean, there are people, and I know when I was in Mexico, the missionary told me that there are little old ladies that would crawl on their knees for thousands of steps until they bleed because they believe that God will see their sacrifice and they'll be good enough to go to heaven. There are people that do things like this, and and this is what Galatians is really attacking, and what we'll begin to study is, what religious thing are you doing to be saved? What do you feel like you have to do to be saved? And Paul said, they have taken you from your freedom and made you bound, made you a person who is miserable, a person who's walking into a rut. And Paul said, I gave you freedom through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And now look at you, you're in bondage again. And so as Paul begins to go through here, and as we begin to go through this book, this is what we're going to begin to study. And in fact, look at the language. This is um, where Paul, really the crux of his discussion, I'm sorry, a little slow on my notes here. They, uh, My printer did not print right this morning, so it's got me all messed up. Paul says, I marvel. This is the word thumazo. I marvel that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel or a different good news. That's the word evangelium. Paul really gets to the point pretty fast. In fact, that word thumazo, amazed, marvel, astonished that they quickly turned away. So let me ask you a question. Here's how simple the gospel is. In fact, the, 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 the real question is circumcision. And you say, man, what an awkward thing to talk about in church. But as you begin to study it in the Old Testament and the purpose of it, let me make it very simple. The purpose was God was trying to teach a people um, something very important, that we are all sinners. And God takes the instrument... No better, easier way to say it, okay? Takes the instrument that produces new life and he says, cut it. As a symbol where you will not forget this, that sin is born into every creature that is created. And you need to recognize that you are a sinner who needs a savior. That's what the whole thing represented, what the whole thing meant. And when Jesus Christ came along, he clarified it. You no longer need to be circumcised. You just need to repent and understand you need a Savior. And that is the symbol that says, I recognize I need a Savior. And I repent and I receive you as my Savior. How many of you know that is what circumcision was all about? And so now it went from being a physical act to a spiritual act. And Jesus Christ said, in Jesus Christ and accepting him... That is what's called the circumcision of the heart. Now here's where the problem lied. They were rejecting the Savior. 
No other way to put it. That's why Paul kept saying, it was very visible to you. You could see what was happening. You've seen Jesus Christ crucified in front of you. How could you have turned from him to go back to circumcision? You want to go back to what you can do rather than receiving the actual thing that it represented. Circumcision represented a savior You're lost. You need a Savior. Here He is. He was died, resurrected in front of you. He was crucified. He died because you needed a Savior. Here He is. You received Him. Now you have left Him. And you went back to the ceremony again. He said, how could you do that? He said, I'm so amazed. I've just given you this message. You received Christ as your Savior And now you're going back to works. But isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? We always go back to what I can do. You know, we always go back to... How many have ever had a period in your life when you said to yourself, man, I'm going to heaven because I'm better than the next person? Maybe I'm the only one. I'm going to preach to myself here. How many have ever done that? Okay, me and two other, three other people. Thank you, four other people. Five, okay, let me go on here. How many have ever done that? Say, well, man, if it's up to going to heaven, obviously I'm better than my neighbor, right? So if that is your confidence... And you go before the Lord on the day of judgment, which it says we all will. We're going to have some kind of justification for why I should go to heaven. And what Paul is saying is, cursed is the man that preaches any other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel they're preaching is, I'm going to go before God and because I've done a religious ceremony, I'm justified. Or because I gave money to the poor, I'm justified. Or because I obeyed the laws as good as a person can obey the laws. How many have ever had a period of time where you said, it's about right and wrong? If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'll be justified. Or because I was, let me me get this one because we just had this last week. I was water baptized. And see, we've got to be really careful. It's actually why I was excited Galatians was being taught after a water baptism. We have water baptism because it's a joy, it's a celebration to tell the world what I did in my heart. But if we ever think that that water is going to save us, we're preaching a different gospel. The water is a symbol of what you did in your heart. And that was understanding that I needed a Savior. And by faith, I'm accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And you say, well, what is the difference between that gospel and what they're teaching? The difference between that gospel is all of my good works are because I love him so much because of what he did for me. Because he saved me and I didn't deserve it. 
Because he saved me and I was a sinner. Because there's nothing I could offer to save my soul. There's not enough good works in this world that I could do to ever be saved. In fact, this is the gospel. This is the Bible. There's no amount of good works that I can do to ever be right before God. And if anybody ever goes to be justified before God, the Bible yells it loud and clear. If you go before God and say that my purpose of saying I'm going into heaven is because of my good works. God said you'll be cut off. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much money you gave. It doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter what your family is. It doesn't matter who your mom and dad is, who your grandparents are. It doesn't matter what country you live in. It does, God is no respecter of persons. He said it's through one thing. This gospel is that Jesus Christ died for us because he's the only way to heaven. And every good work that I'll ever do in this world has to be because he saved me while I was yet a sinner. That is the circumcision of the heart, that I was a sinner. I will always be a sinner as long as I'm on this earth. And everything that I do in obedience to Christ is because he died for me and I needed a Savior. And if it's anything besides that, it's a different gospel. And that gospel will not get us to heaven. But if we accept him as the Lord of our life and we're indebted to him, we, in fact, we come. You know that Jesus says, put on my yoke because it's light and it's easy. The other yoke is heavy and you can't bear it. He didn't say that we don't have a yoke. You know what a yoke is? A yoke is what you put on a horse so he can carry a load. But he says, put on my yoke and take off the other one. The other yoke is I have to be good enough. Which is fine when you're doing well. You're, it's fine when you're down at the, you know, when you're in the break room and everybody's got a filthy mouth and, you know, and everybody's living wild lives and you're sitting there like a little angel. And it's like, man, I'm so glad that I'm not like the sinner. It's fine then, or it's fine when you've had a good day and you've not gotten upset or you're not made a mistake or you're not felt guilty about a sin you know it's fine but where it gets heavy is when you know you're about to die or you're in your worst moment of your life or you realize you're a pretty crummy person then you're thinking oh no am i right and it becomes a heavy burden and you and and you and you begin to be in fact i love to read the story how many have ever read the story of martin luther teaching the book of Galatians. Martin Luther literally got converted by reading the book of Galatians and teaching it as a monk. Okay, he became an Augustinian monk. And the reason he became an Augustinian monk was because he had seen lightning and it scared him so much. He was in a storm and I guess the lightning had hit so close to Martin Luther. Does it make everybody nervous when I'm down here? I hope not. I just feel comfortable down here but um lightning struck very near martin luther and uh he thought he was going to die and it scared him so much he became a monk and he tormented himself he just in fact an augustinian monk they had believed at that time that the more you punished yourself the more chance that god would accept you and receive you in fact they would they would he would fast so much that they thought he was going to die because he fasted so much. He wanted God to accept him, and he just didn't believe that God 
had truly accepted him. He tormented himself. In fact, they said you could hear him in his cell beating himself. You know, he literally would take, you know, things and just beat his body with them. And uh, it was a common practice in that day. And um, they would take vows to never, you know, have anything good come to them. They would punish themselves with the worst kinds of things. And and, and, and here's this is what happens when you become that religious person in that rut. And you never, in fact, some religions you never know, am I right with God? Am I right with God? And you just go in this rut of religion. And you're wondering, man, am I right with God? And Martin Luther just kept going through the same rut of religion. And he started to read the book of Galatians. And it says, the just shall live by faith. And as he read that, it's just like the light went on. In fact, he had made a trek to Rome and he was climbing up some famous steps that Jesus had uh, climbed whenever he supposedly went to Pontius Pilate. And he was told if he would do that. And nothing he did made him feel like he was right with God. And then he finally read, the just shall live by faith. Your salvation is by trusting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The moment you have faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice to save you, how many know that God, if you will trust in him for your life, Lord, I trust your sacrifice, he will wash away all of your sins. And you can know at that moment when you put faith in his sacrifice and his sacrifice alone, that alone, you, you can know that you're on your way to heaven. You say, man, that's not possible. How is that even possible? It's called justification. It means just as if I had never sinned. And so it's that simple. And at that moment, the light went on for Martin Luther. And he said, I am saved by faith alone through grace alone. There's nothing that I can do to add or take away from that. Just trusting in Jesus Christ. And how many know that started the Reformation? That message of grace alone through faith alone. And you say, well, wait a minute. We need to add to that. And the truth is we don't. That's what we're going to learn as we go through Galatians. We're going to break down this argument that Paul had. And you say, well, who was Paul? Paul was a person that had the same problem Martin Luther had. I mean, no, he was a religious extremist. He was one that constantly tried to please God with his works. And Paul went away. He had a dramatic vision of Jesus Christ. And he said, Paul, Saul, his name was Saul at the time. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul had to go away for three years and study the scriptures. And three different times Paul uses that that verse that God had gave him. The just shall live by faith. And church, I want us this morning, in fact, I'm going to talk as I close here on some of the things that his death does for us. But this morning, I want you to really think about the kinds of things that we have added to the gospel. You know, like what trusting in Christ alone, grace alone through faith, that's it. We don't add to that. We don't, we don't do things where God pats us on the head and says, okay, now you're worthy. We're worthy because he died for us. Now let me tell you some of the things that Christ's death does for us. Because um, 
Ultimately, whatever we do religiously has to take care of the sin problem. I mean, you know, the sin problem is pretty big. We don't even really know how big the sin problem is. We just know when it entered into the world, everything changed. How many know that we would love to heal the world? We'd love to look at uh, situations like Canada. And we'd say, man, can we solve that? And you know how complicated that is? Some of you think it's simple. You say, well, I got the solution. How many know that's a very complicated Lots of facets to that Canadian problem right now. And yeah, we've got some solutions, but ultimately, how do you completely heal Canada right now? How do you completely heal Ukraine right now? Say, well, I got the answers. Well, man, you don't even have the answers for the United States. You don't even have the answers for Indiana. You don't even have the answers for Evansville. You don't even have the answers for your own household. Because there's this sin thing that was let out of the box. And it's our human will to be able to do what we want to do. We have this will to either reject God or accept God. And God gives the authoritative word that there's only one way to heal it. And it's through trusting Jesus Christ. And all who trust in Jesus Christ were promised to have the answer. Now, how is that possible? Because attached to that trust in Jesus Christ is a plan that will restore the world back to its previous order when it was all good. But we have to trust to be a part of that plan. Does that make sense to everybody? Sin was released in this world... And now we have the problems that we have in this world. In order to cure the problems, there's only one person that can cure the problems. And he's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's got the title deed to the world. He is the Messiah. And the Bible says that Messiah will put the government on his shoulders and he will restore. And some of you still think you can have a political movement and you can correct it. If they'd only read the Constitution, Chad... I mean, I've read the internet and I'm a constitutional scholar. And yes, I do believe in rights. But do you really think you can heal the world with the Bill of Rights? You really think you can heal the world with the Constitution? You think you can really heal the world with a political party? You really think you can restore the world back to being good by something you believe that's not Jesus Christ? But Jesus Christ, here's some answers that he gives and that we'll receive just by trusting him. Number one, he is the answer to the, the question of the guilt of sin. You say, well, man, I don't have any problems with the guilt of sin. Well, let's start off and say maybe you haven't aborted a baby. Now, how does that person come back from that guilt? You haven't killed a person, but there are a lot of people that have. You haven't destroyed somebody's life, but there are a lot of people that have. You haven't physically or violently assaulted anybody, but there are a lot of people that have. And guess what? I repented 
of my sins and made him the Lord of my life. And when I did it that day, I said to myself, this is the most I'll ever need grace. I naively said, some of you say, man, that's a true statement. You got a lot to learn. I said, this is the most I'll need grace because he forgave me of my past. And now I've got this great amount of grace. And now from here on out, it's little things because I'm a Christian. And what ended up happening was God forgave me of all my sins. And then he began to reveal how deep my heart really needs repaired. In fact, grace got much bigger after I gave my heart to Christ than it is now. I became, in my eyes, I became a much more rotten person to myself when I realized how deep anger goes, how deep jealousy goes, how deep envy goes, how deep all of these sins that we have. How many know they're deep? God might have healed what we've seen, but we don't realize how deep they really were. And they are so deep, it's in our DNA. You got it right, brother. We got so much sin inside of us that how many know God is going to be healing of that for a lifetime? That's called sanctification. And we're not going to be without sin until we get a glorified body. The Bible says we're going to see him, and in a moment we're going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. We're going to receive a body that, get this church, cannot sin anymore. That sounds like an answer. To the sin problem. That I'm going to get forgiven of my sins while I'm yet a sinner. He's going to forgive me and look at me as if I haven't sinned. Then he's going to be put me in a process called sanctification. Which means every day he's going to be working to heal my sins. And I don't have to be perfect because God understands that even at my best I'm still a sinner. And if you don't receive this gospel, you're going to be listening to this gospel from so many preachers in this area that I probably should stand in the pulpit and say, let them be condemned because they're putting rule upon rule upon rule. They're going to say, you have to be water baptized or you're not saved. You have to speak in tongues or you're not saved. You have to do these wonderful works or you're not saved. You have to be perfect or you're not saved. You have to do all these things or you're not saved. God says, trust in me. Put your heart in me. Do your best every day to live for me. Let my spirit change you day by day. And you're on your way to heaven from day one. You don't have to do another thing. My sacrifice did it because I love you. And if we believe any other gospel but that, how many know we're going to be shipwrecked? That's what Paul was worried about with these people. They quickly turned away to works gospel. Chad, you know, we've got these sacraments. If you do these sacraments, then you'll be saved. Chad, if you speak in tongues, you will be saved. I went to a revival recently and they said I had to be water baptized. I said, I've been preaching the gospel for 25 years. I said, you still need to get in the water. I'm telling you, you're going to have to be careful Because God gives you freedom in Jesus Christ. It's forgiveness through his blood, through grace alone. You don't have to do anything to earn it. If they're telling you to do anything to earn salvation, it is a lie from hell. And I'm preaching on the authority of this gospel from his representatives. And so it says, Paul says that they were perverting the gospel. But see, the plan that Jesus has 
delivers us from the guilt of sin. You know what the guilt of sin is? That's sitting every day wondering, am I right with God? You know how many Christians have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and they're so scared they're going to die because they're afraid they're going to split hell wide open. Do you know that? There are Christians because they don't know the true gospel walking around condemned all the time because they're afraid if they mess up, they're not saved. And if they do well, they're saved. So one day they're good, next day they're not good. One day they're good, next day they're not good. How many know that God hasn't called us to that gospel? We trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, and it is a done deal. Hallelujah. Let me tell you another thing. This is why the true gospel is the answer. Another thing, it delivers us from the power of sin. Man, oh man, you know how many people... I've still got one minute, don't... Don't worry about the time. I can make that one minute stretch so much. The true gospel delivers you from the power of sin. You say, well, Chad, I have, uh, I've struggled for so many years from pornography. Uh-oh, I went there. I'm still struggling from sexual orientation issues. I'm still struggling with drugs. The true gospel gives the answer to every sin question. You say, well, what happens to me? I'm trusting in Jesus Christ, but I'm still struggling with sin. How many know you are in a grace cocoon right now? You have 100% guaranteed deliverance from sin by trusting in Jesus Christ. In fact, I did a funeral last week. And how many know Jet Willett? And a very wonderful, godly lady struggling with cancer. And, you know, God had me put in that that, um, memorial service. Just the Lord kept impressing upon me. Make sure you talk about this. How many know that we're 100% guaranteed healing? 100%. You say, well, wait a minute. God doesn't heal everybody. God heals believers 100% of the time. In fact, the Bible in Hebrews says uh, that we receive the powers of the world to come now. So that means that when Christ died, he says, by my stripes, you were healed. Not you will be healed. He says you were healed 100%. You say, well, wait a minute, this is false doctrine because I know a Christian that wasn't healed. The question is not whether you get healed or whether you don't get healed. The question is, when do you get healed? Because that healing is in heaven with Christ. There are times when we pray that healing is released and you receive that healing. That's a miracle. How many of you have ever seen a miracle? I've seen it many times. So the question is, do I get healed now? Do I get healed in 10 minutes? Do I get healed next week, next month? Sometimes I've known believers that have waited 10 or 20 years and were healed. Tuesday of last week, Jet Willett was completely healed. That's the day she died. How many of you know she is not struggling with that painful cancer anymore? She is not struggling with cancer anymore. 
How many of you know healing is 100%? The question is, when do you receive it? Because when we're in the presence of the Lord, there's no sickness, there's no disease. I can't promise you that if you're not in the presence of the Lord, but I can promise you in the presence of the Lord, there is 100% healing. And you say, well, what about my addiction? I'm trusting God and I'm still struggling. Keep trusting God. It's not a question of whether God will deliver you from the power of sin because in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he's going to give you a body that can't sin anymore. It can't be addicted to heroin anymore. It can't be addicted to drugs anymore. Trust God and you say, well, I haven't been healed yet of my issue. Keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. It's not a matter of will he heal you. It's a matter of when will he heal me. And pray that he'll heal you now. Pray that you'll have a miracle now. But if you don't, you're promised healing from here. There are heroin addicts that are praying for that healing. And I believe that they've trusted the Lord to the end. And one day they'll receive that healing. How many know that? God has promised victory over the power of sin. And church, I don't think we give enough credit to the fact that we're getting a body that can't sin. That's the answer to sin. How many know that is the answer? God's going to give us a glorified body where sin is not an issue anymore. Deliverance from the moral darkness that our world is experiencing. Where did these problems in the world come from? I mean, no, it's sin. And it's so complicated, I can't fix it, you can't fix it, government can't fix it, nobody can fix it. We can hope for the best, we can stand our ground while we're here, but... Only Jesus Christ can heal the moral decay that's in this world, the sin that's in this world. Only Jesus Christ and only by trusting him are we ever going to see the healing of this world. How many know that's true? He's the answer to all these questions. How about deliverance from the world that is passing away? That means eternity. What's the answer? I'm going to die one day. I'm going to die one day. What is the answer to death? Trusting in Jesus Christ. We'll die. We'll we'll pass from this world. We'll be in the presence of Christ. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Amen. We're going to get into this study really deeply. Paul's going to give his logical, biblical, conclusive arguments on why trusting in Christ is the answer and not works. So we'll get deeper into that discussion. But just know that there is a different gospel out there that says we can work to receive our salvation. And that's not how it's done. And um, I'm excited about this study. How many are excited about getting into Galatians? Hallelujah. Very good study. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much, Lord. Lord, you've saved us by your grace. By your love that's been poured out upon us, Lord. And uh, Lord, we can't, we can't do enough to thank you, Lord. You've been so wonderful to us, Lord God, that it makes us want to be good to other people around us, Lord. And so uh, help us, Lord. Help us to preach the true gospel, to live the true gospel, to live this word out in our lives, Lord. Because of all that you've done for us, Lord God, and all that you've filled us with, your spirit, your love, your grace, your mercy, let it pour out of us, Lord, like it's poured out of you, Lord. In your name I pray, amen, hallelujah. Church, I just want you to find a place this morning and uh, just worship the Lord, thank him 
for what he's done for you. If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, uh, today is the day. We're here to pray for you. I'm always here today after the service, anytime during the week to pray with you. Let's just find a place to worship him before we leave. Hallelujah. being written by Paul almost the same exact time in Jerusalem uh, James the brother of Jesus between 47 and 49 almost simultaneous to Paul writing his book of Galatians uh, James is writing the book of James and uh, the reason I say that is James is a book of works Uh, Galatians is a book of grace some people try to put them as competing books like one is writing about works and the other one is writing about grace and somehow they don't work together but how many know they complement each other in the most beautiful way and anybody that tries to say that they don't complement each other do not understand the bible and don't teach it properly because if a person receives christ by grace, you begin to get a deeper and deeper deeper understanding of the grace of Christ. And there's a humility and a love and a thankfulness for the death of Christ and the resurrection and the power and the sacrifice. It just begins to flow inside of you when you know that you're saved by grace. It just flows out of you. And the book of James is all about... If I've received Jesus Christ in faith the right way through grace, these are the works that it produces. Something is produced out of that that changes the world. It means that I want to do good works for everybody. I want to pour love out to everybody. I want to pour out. And James just simply has the message of faith must be producing works or it was not real faith. How many know the difference between the two? Works will never save you. You have to separate the two. Works are a product of the fact that I understand that Jesus Christ saved me and I was a sinner and I did not deserve it. But he saved me, made me his own son. He's elevated me. He's putting me by his right side. He's made me rule and reign with him for eternity. God has seated me in heavenly places. And because God has given me such grace and mercy, I want to do things for Christ every day. I want to live for Christ. I want to do good works for Christ. And faith that's truly in the grace of Christ always produces works. Hallelujah. Don't get those mixed up. You can never earn salvation through works, but receiving Christ through faith always produces those works. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, pour your grace upon this assembly, Lord. Lord, let us marvel, Lord God, at you. Let us be in awe of you. Lord, let us uh, glorify you. In fact, like Paul said, glory be to his name. 
Lord, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord God, for the grace you poured out, for the works that you produced through each person, Lord. Hallelujah. Continue to do it, Lord, and bless them. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Amen.